Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumter. How are you, Stacey? Hi, John. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm home in North Carolina, and the sun's not out, but at least it's not snowing, so we'll, we'll take that for today. <laughs> 159th show. Could you believe wow. that? Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. That number keeps going up, as we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like yeah. like I think I said the last time, we need to be very worried if that number starts to go down. Yeah. <laughs> so, so are you home this week? I have been um, off um, in a deep huddle with a vendor who is um, coming into the um, artificial intelligence space with all guns blazing and... I'm learning interesting things. I think I think what I'm learning is that my perception of where the marketplace is and where it actually is are two different things. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I, I imagine we'll talk about that over the course of the morning. But, but you know, from where you and I sit, it always looks like the latest and greatest stuff got adopted, and we move on to the next latest and greatest stuff. Yeah. But I think I think out in the world, in the world that you survey. Um, the adoption of technology is slower than the flurry of press releases that we see would indicate. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Aaron and I are, are working on updating the survey for this year for CRC, and one of the questions we asked last year of the 30% of organizations who have not implemented an employee self-service module in their HR technology yet is why? What's the barrier to implementing it? And, you know, when you think about 30% of all the organizations out there not having employee self-service, that seems like such a basic HR functionality these days that comes with anything that you would buy off the shelf from a cloud perspective. Uh, Most of the time, you know, there's a lot of commentary about basic things like language challenges and no uh, technology available and, you know, they can't trust the data that's coming in or they're, they're, they just don't have time to train about it. So there are people who are, you know, are, are definitely struggling with, you know, how they get information to their employees and how they access this information still. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is still way beyond where they're at. So, so, so what is employee self-service exactly? Well, at least the way we categorize it, I think everybody might have a little different um, uh, approach to it or definition, but we categorize it as the um, employee-facing side of your core HRMS environment. Um, so we're, we look at it as the um, area where you input um, profile information, um, where you input your uh, data, have data around how long a person has been with the organization, their historical stats with the organization, and any kind of data that would go into your core HRMS, where they can access it, make changes to it, and um, update the information. It's it's the pretty simple side of things. It's it's the most basic of employee side of things. It is not your talent management system data. It's not your even your time and labor system data generally. So you're saying you're saying that 30% of large companies, right? Because that's you survey large companies. Um, 30% of large companies, people fill out their basic HR information on paper and hand it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least in some way. Yeah, hold, exactly. Hold it. Let me say that again. In 30% of companies, employees fill out their HR information on paper and then somebody enters the data for them because they don't have an employee self-service access point. And employee self-service allows you to do things like make the corrections in, in your address and change your benefits and that sort of stuff. Exactly, yes. 30% of companies don't have that. 
Do you think their their employees feel like they are living in? That's got that's got you know. I, I'd be very interested if sometime you would talk about the geographic distribution of that. Yeah, um, we would have to take a look at that. I mean, and you know where that marker's at, and and what percentage is at what area, but. Um, you know, and it depends on how you uh, categorize large organizations, those type of things. But I, I don't know that that employees mind that much if if the focus of you know a lot a lot of these organizations are large warehousing organizations or or a service industry, right? Those type of things where where you know. Um, so, for example, one of the organizations with the large manufacturing organization and their commentary about, you know, um, language barriers is that they have people all over the world with different languages. They would have to have over 142 different languages to track employee information in a system. It's much easier for their employees to just write their information down and hand it to them, right? And then someone translates it and puts it into the system. Wow. Wow. I, you know, you know I, I live in such a, in such a bubble. Um, it's it's almost impossible for me to imagine that that that's what life is like in thirty percent of large companies, especially global companies. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, and that's, I think I think that's part of the challenge that 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 we were talking about today, and and what the what the the articles are or that we've sort of pulled today, and the and the topics that we want to talk about today is that. There's there's a chasm in some cases in everything we talk about these days, you know, whether that's, you know, in finances or skill sets or capabilities or whatever, right? But there's also a, a chasm now in technology, and particularly HR technology in many organizations. There are those organizations who have sort of jumped ahead, have just been in front of all the technology uh, movements, have done a lot of effort in making sure that they have the newest, the most updated, the most, you know, sort of forward-thinking technology. And then there's a lot of organizations who have basically just sort of limped along, if you want to call that, or or made the best of what they had and focused on other areas of the business, right? It's probably a better way to put it. And um, and there's a weird, really wide gulf between them. So. Interesting. Interesting. And I don't know that our data shows that, that being forward-thinking means you're for sure going to be a, a top-performing organization. Much of our data shows that many top-performing organizations actually use their HR technology for very long periods of time and are much more likely to have um, you know older, more disparate uh, environments. But they integrate their, their systems a lot more. They spend a lot of focus on integration, a lot of focus on shared services to overcome those issues. Um, and so I think it depends on what you're trying to achieve and, and also whether you want to be ahead of the curve or whether you want to, if you're focusing on efficiencies and outcomes from a financial perspective. Wow. Isn't, isn't it pretty much a proven thing that having employees be responsible for filling out their own forms and the data that they have inside of the system, that that's a, a, a less expensive more accurate way to do things? You probably know the answer to that. <laughs> it definitely there is data that shows that that organizations who have employee self service um are able to serve more employees per HR administrative staff, right? And 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 they add a help desk solution to that that, that increases by almost sixty percent in some cases. Um so having help with that so that people don't have to sort of call their HR department but can call a help desk solution, right? Um but I think the the challenge is is that you still have to 
invest the upfront funds for that, right? And so the question becomes, if I have a finite amount of financial money um, and I'm looking at short-term gains versus maybe long-term sustainable gains, um, it might make more sense to not invest in the HR side because you know we can just you know keep band-aiding it. Wow, wow, this is this is so interesting. And so so you've got the, you've got today's news stories, and the very first thing on the list is Google Glasses for construction workers, basically a heads, <laughs> a heads up display for construction workers, right? And so so is, yes. my my mind is spinning at the dissonance between. Um, the kinds of technology that are available and what's being used. So, so you can imagine a person wearing um, an artificial reality headset onto their oil industry um, job, um, filling out their HR paperwork by hand. You, you know, it's it 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 wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, so 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 this is this is realware. Realware is a. They've only been around for about eight months, I think, or, or at least since they they started selling their product in the last eight months. Um, but they're basically um, a a wearable AR device company. Um, they're raising seventeen million dollars uh, to uh, um, support their their um, organization for developing these wearable AR devices focused specifically on industrial workers. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know. Now, one of the things you have to realize is that the the people who probably get these type of devices are some of the most highly skilled, sought-after roles in organizations. So oil and gas, when you have someone sort of working on your refinery and your rigs, right, these these are very, very highly skilled people generally because the the amount of um, information they have to sort of know to do their job is oftentimes very difficult to pick up. Um, And so I'm not surprised that they're investing money in this space. Plus, it's also... Um, a safety issue here, right? Um, and there's a, a lot of uh, issues around that. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I mean, if if this is a person who doesn't generally have access to a, they can't take a phone with them in their environment because uh, it's too corrosive, or, or or it just won't last, or they can't take, they don't have computers, or uh, they can't have a, a laptop or something while they're climbing poles or or equipment. Um, if they can use these technologies and voice activated, they might actually do more with. Um, even HR technology, let alone their own, because they can do it voice activated. So this is where voice activation comes in for this type of a workforce as well. So, so on some levels, this is you know this is not that um, um, exciting a story because Google Glass is you know seven seven years ago, and um, I don't know about your car, but my car. Um, has a heads-up display that gives me all sorts of information about what to do. Um, and so this is just a a heads-up display that might shine on the inside of the safety shield of your um, uh, construction helmet. Um, yeah, but I, I think that the, the big thing here is that, one, um, you know, this the Google Glass didn't really quite take off in the in the way I think that everybody wanted to see it. And me, you particularly are one of the people who I think had tried it, so it didn't quite work the way you wanted to. Um, in the in the commercial world with cars and stuff, that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of right there. But in this in this area, I think where this is going to have maybe more of a of a impact is is not just in safety, but also in training and HR. Right. So, you know, in many cases, a lot of the times the um, 
issues with these type of workers is that um, they, you know, what happens in those work environments is only known by them. And so if something gets broken or something blows up or something, no one has any information about it, right? Um, and so this is going to be, I think, a really um, interesting um, experiment on, you know, now that you can see everything that your worker is doing and now that you have access to basically give them advice, um, you know, can you put less skilled workers out in the workforce, you know, because of that? Can you now put more um, uh, more requirements on the, on, the, on the worker to basically take ownership of some of the actions that they're taking because they have the information in front of them? They shouldn't be making mistakes, right? These are very, very, you know, dangerous roles and, and positions. I, I can remember my dad talking, he used to work at, at uh, a large oil and gas firm, and he used to climb the... Um, up into the tanks to have to put meters in to read the fumes that were coming out of the tanks. And he used to talk about how people would climb up to the top. You're at 30, 30 degrees in the middle of winter in Ohio. And he said they would take off all their safety gear because they couldn't see anything, right? And so now, you know, do do we get some of that data back? Do, do people get dinged for that? There's a lot of things I think that could come out of this that we haven't thought about. So that's my sense on it. Uh, well, this is, uh, you know, I like the idea that the, what they're selling is that um, – that if you run into a problem that you can't figure out, you can bring your mentor into it by simply calling them and the, and sharing yep. the screen with them, right? And that's 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 pretty amazing. That does suggest that you can put the lesser trained people out on the job. The okay. question there that is a question that I keep seeing in all sorts of um, uh, tools that are designed to 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 supplement the way that people work, um, and that is, um, where do you get the people who can supervise this? Do you take yeah. them out of the field and put them, if you take them out of the field and put them in a chair helping people through this stuff, does that mean that you're preventing the new people from being able to be that well-developed? Does that make sense as a question? It it does because so many times when we've had this conversation, do you learn by making mistakes? Do you learn by doing right? Um, you know, do you know how to get around your town if your GPS tells you how to do it every time, right? So, right. yeah. <laughs> if you're not sort of required to remember, there's a lot of you know, yeah. There's definitely some I think some challenges with that as well. And, and do they need to maybe? And maybe that's the the question. You know. Um, what happens if the system, you know, goes down and you're stuck up there and you don't have your mentor and you're used to having your mentor? There's those kind of challenges too. I think it's a great idea. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've, I've been a big proponent of AR and training and safety for a long time because I know how dangerous these environments are. And there will be people whose lives will be saved because of this. And there will be people who will be saved down the road because we find out what happens in in, in situations that we didn't know previously. But I think there are a lot of ethical and risk issues that we have to think about as well. The unintended consequences, right? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a crazy problem set because the thing that makes it possible to do the work with today's resources makes it impossible to do the work with tomorrow's resources. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. And then and then on you've also got Hacker Rank here. And Hacker Rank is one of those companies that um um, evaluates the quality of a coder or, or a deep technical person's work based on their on the work itself, and yeah. they just got 
$30 million from JMI Equity in their Series C funding, which means somebody believes they're going to have a liquidity moment because their total funding is almost $60 million. Yeah, I know. Uh, I saw that. I was like, wow, they're not a very large organization, if I recall. I've only had an opportunity to meet them once at a couple of events, um, but I know I haven't had a briefing with them. Have you briefed with them before? I mean, they, I don't think they were very large, were they? I've t- I've talked to them. They are um, not very large, um, but they they seem to be. It's the, the statistic is that they measure people by giving them challenges, um, and they are currently doing um, something on the order of 250 of those challenges an hour, um, and. Uh, what, so what's what's that? They they are measuring the performance of six thousand people a day. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Ten um, percent of the world's population of software development and over a thousand companies use HackerRank. HackerRank. Yeah, a thousand and company uh, is is pretty big when it comes to. To recruiting software, I know a lot of organizations are look at that number and say, what, but but we know recruiting organizations don't generally get very large in some cases if they're focusing on a on a specific population. So yeah. right, right. That's that's pretty interesting. So what else is well, in the mail? Well, I, I mean, mean the, yeah, with the recruiting theme, I guess you know, great people announced an eight million dollars in Series B funding. Uh, great people is another organization I think that's on the recruiting side um, that brings their total funding to about fourteen million. So continuing to invest in them, um, they're planning to use the new capital to scale the business and to meet the increasing demand for their platform. So I'm assuming that means some level of sales um, will be needed as well as support. Um, and to expand and the expansion of its one experience talent platform, um, which also I think and means that they're going to be increasing sort of the idea of what modules they have in place. Um, I mean, great people. I again, I haven't had opportunity to to um, brief with them, but I but I know I've heard of them, um, and they've been in the sort of recruiting space for a little while. Um, uh, they're supposed to be focused primarily um, on uh, delivering, you know, basically um, talent around the world. Um, they're an enterprise platform that brings CRM, recruitment, marketing, hiring, and onboarding all together. I, I, we're just continuing to see more and more investment in these uh, recruiting softwares. Now, this is one of those organizations that have had uh, Randstad UK also investing them along with a couple of other organizations like uh, NBC Universal Net. Um, uh, some of their customers uh, as well, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes. So, yeah. So, so this is I would I would categorize this as one more recruitment marketing platform, right? And recruitment marketing um, used to be about the placement of job ads in newspapers, and then the placement of job ads in job boards, and it's evolved to. Um, to the idea that what you do when you're recruiting is build relationships with the people inside of a network. And so, so this um, offering is in that area. It, it, is, it is an idea about the quality of the candidate experience at some level. And um, that the, 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 one of the things I was saying earlier that I'm surprised at, at, at what a crazy little filter bubble I live in, I assumed that, that the idea that 
candidates should have a a high quality experience when they go to apply for a job. I just sort of assumed that that was a broadly held notion, and it turns out that lots of people don't even know how to think about that. And so, okay. great people is is um, set up to be successful in the marketplace with this with this um, funding. To focus on the idea of the candidate experience, and and I think you're right. I mean, we just had the conversation about you know who focuses on the candidate experience. We know the 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 head of HR. We know the recruiting staff does. Um, but does the person who's managing the IT, which is actually a big part, especially the HRIT, a big part of the candidate experience, have the same understanding? And, and I think we had a, a sort of disagreement. I, I don't think they do. Um, and so I think that's part of the challenge with maybe some of this, is that there's a difference between sort of the process of candidate experience and the technology that they're leveraging, right? Yeah, interesting. And then, and then next on your list... Is engaged. So this one's a little bit more of the pre-candidate you know, candidate, uh, conversation. Engage raised is $3 million um, to um, accelerate their focus on predictive recruiting technologies. Um, now, Engage is someone that I've briefed with. I briefed with them last year. I know you know them very well. I mean, they're, they're an organization that has been sort of the idea of assessing, you know, how ready someone is to move. Is that, is that a good way of, of describing what they do, John, or, or do you think that's sort of a little too limited? Well, you, you know, when I tell people about Engage, I say that they predict the likelihood that you'll return a phone call when a recruiter calls you. Yeah. And they do and they do that with external information. So they follow the news, they follow company news, they follow the stock price, they follow the weather, they follow all sorts of things and then and then assess people based on their um view of where those people are in their career right you know there's a there's a um a, a relatively predictable distribution curve of how people sit in a job when they're ready to move when they've stopped learning and being challenged and are ready to move on to the next thing and so they look for signals that help you see that that's 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 what they really do and so it's it is um next generation thinking about how to do recruiting that um, pretty smart people are are going after if they're in highly competitive recruiting environments yeah and and this is i mean again this is that pre before you even begin to think about the candidate experience this is the idea of will they even be receptive um, and three million. When we think about the numbers we just got today, doesn't seem like a lot of money. But Engage is actually a, a pretty strong organization. I know they've been around for quite some time, um, and so um, this will be interesting to see. You know, what's going to be more important over time in the candidate experience, the pre sort of assessments, the understanding of the market. Is all of it important? Is this all going to be wrapped into a platform? I think there's been a lot of conversation that there is some sort of a pre-candidate platform that's being developed with all of this stuff. Um, but it's, it's, it's really interesting to see, you know, that these different types of recruiting softwares are getting investments, which probably goes along with the fact that we know that at least here in the U.S., but I think it's sort of happening globally as well, that the American in the U.S., the voluntary uh, quitting um, of jobs um, has basically hit a 17-year high. So basically, Americans are voluntarily quitting their jobs, leaving, going other places, and it's the highest it's been in 17 years. Um, that sort of blew me away when I was reading this. I mean, I know we've, we've been seeing sort of upticks in hiring, but the, the voluntary quitting, I think, really shows that we're seeing a lot of employees taking, you know, are ready to go, as Engage would probably predict, I would assume, right? 
Yeah, this says this says that in November the rate was two point two percent of people voluntarily quit their jobs, to, and and the assumption is they went on to do something. Um, um, that's that's well, you know that says that in the economy people are changing jobs once every four years, right? That's yeah. the, that's that's the same thing because two percent. A month is twenty five percent a year, and so so over the course of four years, you get a hundred percent. And and I think the uh, what what I saw the other day was that the federal statistics show a four point seven year median tenure in jobs. So people are people are leaving their jobs at this rate. They're leaving their jobs a year earlier than they usually do. Than what they would have previously. Yeah. Yeah. And. So, and the market's tight right now. We know that hiring is, is, is a difficult proposition. So the question will be, you know, how long will this boom last for the, for the recruiting side of the software? Because uh, once the sort of numbers go down, the labor market gets soft again, things generally start to soften up for recruiting as well, right? Because then you have more in abundance of people you need, right? Um, yeah, the, the market for purchasing uh, recruiting stuff goes away in a downturn. Absolutely goes away in the downturn. Well, um, along the lines of people sort of moving, um, you know, if we um, want to wrap up today's conversation a little bit, this is a great one to wrap it up on. Um, this was sort of blew me away. I have not heard of something like this previously. I, I've heard of a lot of technical companies suing over these type of things, but um, IBM is suing their former HR boss, not the not Microsoft, but the boss herself, HR boss who was recently hired by Microsoft due to the fact they're saying that she, when she left the organization, she, she basically um, uh, overstepped her, her non-compete clause, which she had signed with them. And the non-compete com- competition agreement was for a 12-month period. And they said that she took with her, supposedly, or had available data about their diversity programs and their currently internal diversity numbers. And so they're suing her for that issue. Have you ever heard of anything like this, John? I mean, I know in California this just doesn't happen very often, but but this is this is pretty big. I mean, these these are are, are big numbers and 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 big companies fighting over something like a diversity program and diversity numbers. Is is that supposed to be internal details that should be hidden or should be specific to an organization? This blows my mind. <laughs> this, this totally blows my mind. There's not much that blows your mind, so that's and, for and, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you've got to think that, that what this means is that um, diversity programs and diversity hiring are now considered to be a competitive advantage by companies like IBM and Microsoft to the point that they sue people in the way that, that – um, Google and um, Uber are going after each other for detailed intellectual property um, uh, issues, and and I've never heard of that before. What a what a wonderful thing! Well, and and you know what's interesting is that the judge. Now this is out of New York, so I think if this would have been in California, it would have a different story probably. But the the um, Judge Vincent Brissetti, I think I said it correctly, temporarily barred McIntyre from moving to Microsoft. Um, so she she now at this point is not allowed to take the job. 
because of the non-compete for the moment until they go through this. Um, you know, and, and IBM is basically claiming that it's not just sort of that she knows the diversity strategies and she knows the numbers, but she also has hiring targets, technologies, and innovations. And that's what kind of blew me away. It's it's not just the the data that she sort of knows, but they're saying that she knows about the technologies and the innovations. When did the innovations in HR become competitive advantage, right? Well, and, and, and in particular, the innovations in diversity. I, I, you, you know, the, 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 I understand that helping people see the value of diversity is, is an important long-term communications process that HR departments are, are engaged in. But how do you innovate in that? Yeah, yeah. Right. I I, I just don't, I just don't know. It's it, it, it's it's a pretty interesting question. It is. It is. Now now there's a lot of other things that go on in the story. I mean I mean so uh, the the head of HR basically said that she had informed the IBM in January about accepting the position at Microsoft and that IBM terminated her immediately. Um, you know, so you know there is some question there about that, and IBM said it sought to enforce the non-compete agreement for a 12-month period um, and recover from her the equity compensation she was forfeited. So that, but that seems like a. I mean, usually, I mean, it happens, and definitely it happens in technical companies where people go after that kind of stuff. But I don't think this is about the money. I mean, I mean, I think if it was about the money, it would be a, a different conversation, right? This seems like this is very much about. We don't want people thinking they can leave here with our data and our insights because at least a year needs to pass so we can change things up a little bit, right? Is that what, what they're saying? That's, that's what they're saying, but this is the IBM who is um, um, trying to make a significant play in the HR technology markets. Yeah. Um, this, this, this is not how you do that. No, no. Well, it, um, but but I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how these um, how these conversations shake out. This is one story we'll have to continue to watch. So, um, you know, when the HR technology becomes a competitive advantage, and your hiring strategies and hiring plans become competitive advantage, um, we might see a lot of these type of things start to prop up um, more so than we have in the past, probably. How interesting! Yeah, well, lots to look forward to. And as we're out of time, thanks for doing this, Stacey. It's another great conversation. Definitely. Looking forward to it, and we'll see everyone again next week. All righty. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer, with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Thanks, and we will see you again next week. Bye-bye now. Bye, everyone. 